0: Happy Easter from A Word from the Lord. Today's Easter message is entitled, Jesus is Lord. Here now is our speaker for A Word from the Lord, Dr. Foley Beach.
1: In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. We have gathered this day to remember and to celebrate Jesus Christ rising from the dead. This has been quite a week in the life of Jesus, what we call Holy Week. Last Sunday, he came into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey with crowds of people giving him the royal treatment by placing palm branches in his path and hailing him as king. He entered through the east gate, which had long been taught that the Messiah must come into the east gate of Jerusalem. Throughout this week, he visits the temple and he teaches and debates with the religious leaders about the nuances of the law. On Thursday he celebrates Passover with his disciples and in the midst of that meal institutes what we now call the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, Eucharist. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many. Then on Friday he is handed over to be crucified. The religious leaders have beat him and slapped him. And then he's turned over to the Roman government. And they scourge him, they beat him, they whip him, and they torture him. And then after carrying his cross up to Golgotha, he's nailed to a cross and crucified. And while on the cross, he asks God to forgive those who did this to him. Also, while on the cross, he calls out, Just the most incredible saying, if you really study it, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was at this point that the Holy Son of God, who had always been for all eternity known perfect fellowship with the Father, it was at this point that all of the sin of humanity, including your sin and my sin, was placed upon him. And he became the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, for your sin and for my sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is holy, and he cannot have communion with sin, any sin. And so for the first time in all eternity, the son is not in fellowship with his father. God has to turn away. He cannot be in fellowship with sin. And I believe the physical suffering he went through on Friday, as bad as it was, was nothing compared to the spiritual and emotional suffering he went through, when for the first time in all eternity, he is not in relationship with his father. A few minutes later, he cries out, it is finished. It's completed. It's accomplished. The Greek word here means complete. It was used by marathon runners after they'd complete the big famous marathon. It is finished. Jesus has finished the work he has come to do. And then he yields up his spirit and he dies. For all of Friday, the rest of Friday, nothing. For all of Saturday, nothing. His disciples and followers are devastated. His disciples and followers are shell-shocked. They don't know what to do. Their leader and friend is gone. The soldiers might be coming for them next. They left their families and their jobs to follow him. They'd given up everything to become his followers. And now they had just witnessed him dying, the brutality of a Roman death sentence. Jesus is dead. Early Sunday morning, some of the women go to the tomb to perform the customary a burial custom of anointing with spices the body to make sure it had been prepared properly. And when they arrive at the tomb, someone had removed this huge big stone which had been rolled against the opening, which was normal for that day. It had also been sealed by the Roman guards. They walk inside to find a young man, probably an angel, who tells them that Jesus is not there, that he has risen, that that he would see them soon, that they must go and tell the disciples that they had seen Jesus. Now, of course, the scriptures tell us they go and tell the other disciples and they think the women are out of their minds. They don't believe. I mean, really, I mean, how many folks had ever been raised from the dead? I mean, how many folks have you known who have been raised from the dead? I've known a couple of folks. Several weeks ago, one of our members uh, John Haynes received a notice in the mail from the government informing him that he was dead. <laughs> After many phone calls, physical appearances at the social security office, John and Ann were finally able to get John declared alive again. <laughs> he, he has been resurrected. <laughs> Several years ago, one of our members got very sick and her body became septic meaning infection had taken over. And after weeks and weeks in the hospital, the doctors had given up, and it was just a matter of time before she died. So her husband and I went in to pray for her, asking God to heal her and and literally to call her back into life. In a matter of minutes, she opened her eyes. She began her recovery very quickly, and and Debbie is with us today. Praise the Lord. Now, while in these examples, we say they were brought back from the dead, the disciples had seen Jesus on the cross. They had seen his suffering. They had seen him dead. They saw him buried. Who had ever heard of such a thing, even though Jesus had told them about it ahead of time? Well, over the next few hours, days, and weeks, Jesus appears to Mary, to Peter and John, to two disciples traveling on the road to Emmaus, to all the disciples, including Thomas, and in one setting to over 500 people at the same time. It became very clear to those to whom he appeared that he was who he said he was, that not only had he been raised from the dead, he was the Lord of heaven and earth, that he was God of God, that he was the Messiah that had long been waited for, that he was the Son of God. And rather than the Messiah being an earthly kingdom leader like they expected, the Messiah was a spiritual kingdom leader. And now amidst the physical world that we can see, touch, and hear, we can now have access to the spiritual world, which communes with the living God who is spirit. The Messiah was not just on earth to do miracles, but to open all people up to the world of miracles, faith, and communion with God. And so throughout the years, since that first Easter, millions, probably billions of people have discovered that Jesus is the Lord. They've entered into a dynamic, vital, alive relationship with him. Their lives have been transformed. Their sins have been forgiven. They can commune with God. Their prayers are answered. And God walks with them day by day and moment by moment. Some express it in a quiet dignity. Some express it by shouting from the housetops, right? Amen. <laughs> and some just begin to walk it out in their lives. But for those of us who have found this story not just myth or legend, Jesus is not dead, He's alive. Jesus is not just some historical figure to us, He is alive. Jesus is not just some storybook figure to us. He is alive. Jesus is not just some cosmic dude to us. He's alive. Why? Because we know him. Our sins have been forgiven and we have that peace which passes all understanding. Do you know him this way? Are you in relationship with him? Are your sins forgiven? Do you have inner peace which comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit? Jesus is alive, and Jesus is Lord, and he wants you to know him. I believe not only is Jesus alive, but during this week, which we call Holy Week, I believe he's left us a pattern on how to live the Christian life. The more and more I walk with him, and for me it has now been intentional for over 44 years, can't believe that, 44 years, I'm coming to the conclusion that what Jesus did during Holy Week is the pattern for living the abundant Christian life. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit day in and day out, to know his presence, to know his power, to know his purpose in your life, then you must walk Holy Week in your life as well. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But we must walk his walk. What did Jesus tell his disciples they must do if they wanted to follow him? Do you remember? In Matthew 16, 24, 25. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Mark 8, 34. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up her cross and follow me. In Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You would think we would get it, but we miss it. If we desire to follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. Now, I know this doesn't sound all warm and fuzzy on Easter like we want it to with the Easter bunny and all of that kind of thing. But remember what Jesus said in John 12, 24. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much, much fruit. And yes, he was talking about himself, but he was also talking about a spiritual principle of life. The Apostle Paul makes it personal in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians 2, 22, he writes... I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. I, he says, have been crucified, and I no longer live. I, that's me, myself, and I. Me, Look at living for myself, serving me. Some would call it the old nature. It's dead, he says. I have been crucified. It's dead. I no longer live. Now, I know this is not what some of you want to hear, but hang in there with me for a few minutes. You and I have been programmed by our culture to live for me, myself, and I. It's almost that to say what I'm saying is, is offensive, right? Right? Why do you go to school? Me. Why do you get married? Me. Why do you get a job? Me. Why do you go to church? Me. Why do you make money? Me. Why do you drive the car you do? Me. Why do you live where you do? Me. Me, me, me. I, I, I. If you and I are really honest, I mean... Truly honest, most of us would have to admit the whole of our lives revolves around me, myself, and I. But I work so hard to provide for my family. Why? What's the real motive? But I work so hard to be there for my kids. Why? What's the real motive? But you wouldn't believe the amount of time I serve at church. Or at the soup kitchen, or whatever it might be. Why? What's the real motive? We are so ingrained with this me thinking that we can't even see it in our lives. Here's how you can tell if you're breaking out of it. Do you know love in your life? Do you know joy in your life? Do you know peace in your life? Do you know patience? Do you know kindness and gentleness in your life? Do you know faithfulness in your life or self-control? That's a huge one in our day. Do you know goodness in your life? The reason we don't have the love is I has not been crucified. The reason we don't have the joy is self has not been crucified. The reason we don't have peace is me has not been crucified. Paul understood it and he taught it. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. See, you and I must have a Good Friday, not just once, but day by day and moment by moment. Self must be dead and buried, it must stay on the cross. Oh, I don't like this, you say. (laughs) Well, I don't either. But unless we face the cross, we cannot have new life in us. For when we allow self to go on the cross, then God, through the Holy Spirit, raises us to the new life of grace. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Christ himself literally comes and dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, he literally takes up residence. And every time we die to self, he's raised to new life within us. Yes, we need to have a conversion, a time when we come to Jesus in our lives. But then day by day, moment by moment, we have to learn how to follow him. And it's a process by denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. When we take up our cross, then the fruit of the spirit can then manifest itself in our lives. Now, how does our culture tell us we can get love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, all the rest? How how do they tell us? Good looks, nice things. You know, if I just had that car, if I just had that dress, if I just had that house, if I just had, you know, whatever it is. Money. How much is enough? You never have enough. Success. Sex. Pleasure. Instant gratification. You know, you got to have it now. Parties. On and on, the messages we hear every day in the commercials and ads we find, hear from our friends, our coworkers, all these things feed me, myself, and I. Sure, they may bring a moment of happiness until they become an addiction. And sadly, most sin becomes addictive. They can never bring real joy, they can never bring real love. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now I know this is a tough message, but we need to hear it. Too many of us are being deceived. We're holding on to old grudges and wounds, all to defend self. And in the end, it leads to self-destruction. We're working ourselves to the bones to get, to get, to get, all to feed self, and in the end, it's all empty. And as Christians, we have the power to live the resurrected life of Jesus, but we don't know it. This Jesus who rose from the dead will live in you and give you the power to really live life. Listen to the words of 1 Peter, translated through the message. This is 1 Peter 4.1. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. And then you'll be able to live out your days to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. You've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night, a drunken and proliferant life. Now it is time to be done with it for good. You don't have to keep living life in the doldrums. He gives you the power to overcome. I'm reminded this morning of Susanna Wesley. She was born in 1669 in England. She was an Anglican, and she married an Anglican minister, Samuel West. She gave birth to 19 children although nine died as babies. I mean, just think about that a minute. Nineteen children. She raised ten children. She lived in a time when it was tough to be a true believer of Jesus. She and her family were often ridiculed. They had to be careful because in that day, it it would literally take your head off if you weren't politically correct. Susanna and her children were often clothed in rags, although she did what she could to make them look nice. Many times in her life, she did not have enough food or milk for the children, but somehow they got through. Their house caught on fire two times, and one time they actually had to live in the burnt-out remains until they could afford to make repairs. Life was rough. She made sure, though, that she personally educated her children and taught them the Bible and taught them theology. She prayed every day, dear God, guide me, help me to do your will, make my life count for you. It would have been so easy for her to justify not following God. I mean, just think of having to bury nine of your own children. And then she buried two others who died before she died. But she learned how to say no to self and to live the resurrected life. There's a story of Susanna Wesley that after the great fire of London, one day she wanted to go to the spot in which it had burned most intensely. Standing at the spot, she meditates and prays that she would be used to start a spiritual fire that would burn with much greater intensity. You see that passion? Can you hear that in her? Of course, she did just that. By raising children who encountered the risen Jesus and took his salvation message to literally all parts of the globe. The most famous, two most famous of her children were John and Charles Wesley, whose Anglican Method societies formed what we now know as the Methodist Church. Charles contributed to the hymn we began the service with, verse 4 of Jesus Christ is Risen Today. Susanna Wesley died to self, and she changed the world. She lived the resurrected life. I would suggest to you this morning that it's time for some of us here to get with it. It's time for us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's time for some of us to die to self and to learn how to rise to the new life in the Holy Spirit. This is Easter. He's risen. And it's not just an historical event. It's a way of life. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He has risen from the dead, not just for the forgiveness of sins, not just for the promise of eternal life, but also to give his resurrection power to all who take up his cross and follow him daily. So brothers and sisters, I challenge you in the name of God, follow him, take up your cross and learn to follow him that you might live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to live and to die and to be raised again on our behalf. And I pray for each one of us this morning, especially for the one who's sitting here and doesn't know you. And all of this is a foreign concept that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would touch them and draw them to yourself that they would come to know not just the ability to know you, which is so important, not just to know how to have forgiveness of their sins, but to know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in their lives. And this is our prayer for his honor and glory. Amen.
0: That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit a wordfromtheLord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages, where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. A org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one minute radio feature and much more. So visit a wordfromtheLord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can find A Word from the Lord on Facebook, and be sure to click the Like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at fullybeach@awordfromtheLord.org. Again, his email is Foley Beach at a word from the Lord.org You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636 Monroe, Georgia 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636 Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A Word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. And we thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking. A word from the Lord.